Osiris. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Loyalty, described as, do you care? And I care, and that's why I'm on this show. Comes a time, here we go. <laughs> I'm a sucker for O'Teal, man. It's all that same feeling that I have, that would he fill the void that I didn't even know existed. It feels so good to, as Ben said, to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining. If you can't help, don't hurt. If we could just all get out there and throw cream puffs at each other, maybe things would, instead of bullets and <laughs> angry words, it would be better. When you stop laughing, you stop living. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. It was deep, man. It's not that TM makes your mind quiet down there. It already is. We're just stuck up here. We've lost access. I'm jumping Jack Flash came out by the stones. So I thought, all right, perfect, man. I'm gonna drive, and I started driving through the neighborhood, and I got, I got a text from Mick Jagger. <laughs> People saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. It wasn't like they were clapping from here. Is they were clapping from here. My view of things is that death, death is the last and best reward for a life well lived. Like you gotta, it's the strangest of places if you look at it right, you know? If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's O'Teal. And that's Mike. And who do we, we have, have today? Our buddy came back. Yes, Andy Bernstein from Headcount. They had a monumental year this year. Over a half million voters signed up already, and it's October. It's what late September. So that's awesome. Yeah, their partnerships are growing. Their scope is growing. The it's awesome. It's just great. And I thought, you know, at this point where we're at, we got to have them back. We got it. That's a regular like, <laughs> like backline. And like others, like we just need to keep touching base with headcounts. Right. Keep checking in. You know, I mean, that one's, oh, this is an important one. So, but it, it turned is. out to be a really great, I mean, just across the board. What a fun episode. I know he started interviewing me about then coming. <laughs> I was like, I Wait loved it. My no, job was easy cool. today. <laughs> yeah. Cause his thing is like dead when dead and company went, started getting big and going to stadiums. That's when, Headcount really, he said, you know, we were kind of struggling to get by. And then Fare Thee Well was a big push. And then Dead and Company helped just get right. it over the wall. So it's cool. It's a, it's a nice uh, chapter 
and each other's lives. It and, sure is. And Andy's the best. Done, but, yeah, no, absolutely yeah. not. And uh, go, go register to vote if you're not registered. Go to Headcount. Help not Headcount work. support them. They're phenomenal. And it's just, you know, a purely grassroots thing that turned out to be a game changer. So really, really honored to have them on. And thank you, Andy, for, for spending time and for everything that you do for us. And thank you for listening. We're on Osiris, home to so many great podcasts. Go to OsirisPod.com. And if you're uh, enjoying us, you could head over to Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode every week. Until next week, enjoy it. Stay safe. Go vote. Good to see you, Andy. Thank you for coming back. Good to see you guys. We have to congratulate you on a milestone. 100,000 registered voters this year. Yeah. Yeah. And that's midterm elections. That's not it's not a small number. The most we'd ever done was 80,000. And that was in the year of the Parkland students and big, big voter turnout in 2018. So this year it was a really different environment and we were still able to increase them. We got a few weeks to go. I think we'll hit 125,000. Wow. So, um, you know, and then we're trying to directly interact with a million people doing something to get them out to the polls, whether it's checking their registration status or having them visit our website to get voter information. And we're, we're tracking toward that. So it's like, you know, these are real numbers. Like yeah. you, you can, uh, stop the average person on the street and there's a decent chance if they're in a certain age demographic and like a certain kind of music that they've interacted with headcount and we've helped them vote. Yeah. I mean, since the last time that we've gotten together, I feel like the, um, the breadth of genre that you guys are, I mean, it's now just completely agnostic to any genre of music. Headcount is there. It's so true. And I, I mean, the big recent stuff, uh, Lizzo has been a great partner. Um, and we'd wanted to work with Lizzo so badly for so long. That was just huge. Um, Harry Styles, we've worked with before, but it's like really stepped up. We're out with Jack Harlow. Um, I got to admit, I don't, I know a little bit of Lizzo music. I don't know Harry Styles. They played it for me in the office. They tell me I love it. Um <laughs> I did see the Jonas Brothers this weekend at at um, Global Citizen Festival, and I liked the Jonas Brothers. I didn't know I liked the Jonas Brothers. It was fun. <laughs> but I couldn't stop dancing. Uh, sometimes I surprise myself, but generally, you know, you know the music. I listen to the same music that you guys do, yeah. or uh, or that you make. And um, for me, it's really eye opening to work with all these artists. I'm not, you know. I'm a classic rock jam band guy, and um, but I know where the young people are, and they're listening to, you know, a lot of music that I'm not listening to. So that's where Headcount has gone, and it's been a really almost complete transition. Like we're still with Dead and Company, and We're and Goose and a few others, but mostly, if you look at our event schedule now, it's um, more mainstream, and that's what people are signing up to volunteer to do. That's what our team leaders want to do. So uh, I'm just like trying to not get in the way. Yeah, get the numbers up, man. Like the, the, you need the markets are there. You got to get them. You know, it's funny though. I really feel my age because I only know I've only heard of two of the people you mentioned, <laughs> Lizzo and the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> like the other two, I I got yeah. nothing. You know, Harry Styles. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. He just, what did he just do 15 nights at the garden, right? I think he sold, did, I know. 15. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless I'm driving by the garden every day going, I know, oh, I know. Is, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I don't listen to the radio. Is there even radio anymore? Does radio um, exist? <laughs> I think it like, I, I, I listened to channel 23 on Sirius. Yeah. Uh, so. that channel. Does that count as radio? I think that does. I don't yeah, think it does because to. like radio would styles show up on there or yeah. who's the uh, other person? Sirius XM. Well, not on the Grateful Dead channel, but definitely but that's on what the I'm saying. Like if I listen, when you listen to the radio, you don't have a choice. Like it just comes at you. And if I was on Sirius, I still would never hear any of these people because I'd be on the 70s funk channel. Right. And the, right. you know, avant-garde jazz channel and the whatever. Totally. And it's like, and I'm sure you've had the experience where you see like the charts from like 1983 or something and you know every song. Right. Like, we oh, used yeah. to all know. And 73. <laughs> yeah. 63. Like, and then the more recent it gets, the more factional it is. And so for me personally, it's been like, I, I joke around, but I'm not joking. I say I'm thoroughly unqualified to run a pop music organization. <laughs> so when, when Headcount started with Mark Brownstein and I, we really were 
we were working in a space that we knew really well, not just that we knew the music, but we understood the grassroots marketing element right. from how the biscuits yeah. got started to the fish book, the farmer's almanac that I'd written. We sold our shit in parking lots. We sold our yeah. shit by talking to people directly. We sold our shit by standing in front of wetlands and handing out flyers. Um, and you know, we built an organization off of those methods and still very much, I mean, Dead and Company, as you know, is still like really, really core to how we work and how we built the organization. Yeah. By the way, I just think we should talk about Dead and Company today. That's, that's, but, you know, and now we're in these, these much larger spaces. Um, but, um, in the end, you know, we, we have a few new digital things that work with all kinds of artists. And people aren't that different. If it works in the dead community, it'll probably work in the Lizzo community. Like there are some things that are not that different. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, seeing the announcement about it being the last tour, really like it's certainly a moment for us because I think the the dead and company, the, the period of dead and company has been the period of extreme growth for headcount. So we're, we turned yeah. 18 this year. Wow. Um, when awesome the year was like 23 2014 we were barely hanging on um yeah. you know we had a very very modest budget we had a few employees we worked like on top of each other in the relics office and really starting with fairly well right into debt and company was how we just sort of changed we were able to find new new funding from the people who were coming out to these shows some of the big high rollers yeah. bidding on guitars and just yeah. had a more kind of had a moment at, at fairly well, as all of us did. And it rolled right into Dead and Company. And so, like, when I heard the announcement, it was like, wow, this is for us. This has been we've had a, a, a journey with Dead and Company that was unique, that was really transformative and helped us get to Ariana Grande and yeah, and, yeah. and Lee Eilish and all of them. So I'm like, yeah, how are you feeling, O'Teal? I'm fine. You know, I guess I'm like, you know, since I had kids, I just don't worry about shit anymore. Yeah. And also after the, when the Almond Brothers ended, I had nothing. And Jess was six months pregnant, I think. And so exactly a year later, I mean, I hustled and hustled and hustled for a year. And I found out, okay, I can keep the ship afloat just hustling. Right. And then exactly a year later, I got the Dead and Company gig. And I was like, man, I wish I had saved myself all that anxiety. Because <laughs> you don't get the time back. So all that time I spent worrying, I, I'll never get it back. And I'm like, I refuse to do that ever again. It wasn't mm -hmm. even a refusal. I was just like, I, I can't do that again. So now I'm like, I'm great, man. I'm having so much fun with the kids. And I just got off tour with Melvin and the Kimox and Krez. And I got, there's so much like, you really think Bill and Bob and Mickey are going to go home and sit no. in the rocking chairs now. <laughs> like you know, It's going to continue. They're going to have to be dead or the doc, some doctors are going to have to forbid them to go on the road before they'll stop. So I'm just like, why, you know, I'm not, I'm fine. I'm not worried about it. Whatever. I never know anyway, like through all the Almond Brothers and Dead and Company, like one person dies, like it just could be over so we don't know i could get hit by a car i don't know when my last gig is so 
I think it's the last time we're going to play with those guys. I don't think so. (laughs) And it's like, we look at, like, look at where you are today compared to them when you were hustling and worrying. And it is a good life lesson. Like you think back to every worry you've had in your life, probably none of them was worth it. We all probably didn't like the things we needed to worry about. And we've lost years. I mean, I'm a very stressed out guy, not going to lie. And I'm just like, I always, it's never worth it in the end. No. No. And when you get, if you're lucky enough to get older, you can look back and see the, the stats and you're like, wow, there's a lot of shit that I didn't have to worry about. So when it starts to happen again, I'm like, ah, 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 go play with Nike. Ah, 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 Kavi wants to play with dolls. Let's do it. You want to put makeup on daddy? Let's go. You know, like just yeah. be in the moment because if it does go bad, you have all those good moments. Yeah. So like with headcount, it's like, okay, dead and company's over. You guys are going to be fine. <laughs> you know, like you're, you've, yeah, you're I think out there true. already. You know? And it was like, um, because you build, when you build things through like something like that and company, they don't go away. You know, right. your career is obviously in a completely different place on your own. Um, Headcount, we we learned so much through Dead and Company. Like for folks who don't know, well, kind of our journey was starting with Lockin Festival in 2013. We did something called Participation Row. Like Shapiro and John Dindis came to us and were like, "Hey, we want this festival to be really like socially conscious. Can Headcount help?" It's like, yeah, and I've always kind of wanted to do something. I've always wanted to do sort of like a social action village. Yeah. So like, knock yourself out, whatever you need. So we started doing that in 2013. We we did it was like, hey, let's do an auction. Like at first we didn't even think about that. And um, we got some guitars and posters signed by everybody playing the festival. And I think the guitar, I think it went for twenty thousand dollars. And we nice. were like blown into next week. We like could not believe that happened. I remember <laughs> like, the how many guitars can we get? <laughs> exactly. And um the guy's name was Billy Smith. He bought it for a friend, and it was like this life-changing moment. It was like, oh, my God. So we do it again, and then Fairly Well comes around, and Shapiro's like, you guys want in on this. Like, this could be big. I'm telling you, this yeah. is going to be big. So we do the participation road at, at Fairly Well, and we ask the band members, like, who do you want to invite? Who's dead family? And some of it was old school, like um, Seva, um, and Rainforest Action Network, Rex Foundation, Rex, old yeah. school dead charities. But the band guys were great about getting back to us. Like Billy wanted normal there. Um, yeah. And I think Billy wanted um, Surf Rider. So we had this whole group of organizations. And then we had a couple guitars. Bobby sees the guitar the night before when he's signing and he grabs the guitar and starts playing. And he's like, I really like the feel on this guitar. It was a D'Angelico guitar. He had never, I don't think he'd ever picked up a D'Angelico guitar. So then he turns to Matt Bush and says, I want to play that guitar on stage. So he ends up playing the guitar on stage the second night. Perfect. And we were like, this guitar, we think we might be able to get $100,000 for this guitar. (laughs) We weren't like, we were going nuts. We were like recreating the rules to to deal with a bigger like transaction. Well, the guitar ends up going for a half a million dollars. Jesus. We split it among all 17 organizations that are there. Everybody gets, I think, $37,000. They're Jeez. like, 
the uh, like the Owsley Foundation, they got their whole start with that. That was their their startup money. Their seed money. Wow. Yeah. So that happens <laughs> in July. And then Dead & Co. starts, I think, around Halloween. And we're like, all right, let's see if we can make this work again. And we did like a guitar. And sure enough, it goes for like Bobby plays again. It goes for like over $20,000. Not a half million, but over 20000 And then that summer with the arenas and stadiums and, and the outdoor shows, the amphitheaters, we really built it up. We partnered with Reverb and we go with like a serious operation on the road. And I should have pulled the numbers, but I think at this point we've raised for all the different charities, I think well in excess of $3 million wow. through Dead and Company. Wow. And just through Dead and Company. Just through Dead and Company. And we have like, I mean, we've developed it in a much more, I don't want to say sophisticated because it's more of a personal thing. Like we know the people who support, a lot of people yeah. now have multiple guitars and there are wealthy <laughs> people who are very generous, very big deadheads. And this is their, this yeah. is how they express their philanthropy is by doing our guitar auctions. And um, they know they're supporting headcount and our work registering voters and also supporting a lot of other dead charities. And we have our regulars and there are people who, yeah. You know, for some, they're very wealthy. Some, they're just more like well off. And this is like their pride and joy is like putting these guitars on the wall. And this is what they really put their hard earned money into. And then you have a few where like, you know, they have very, very large amounts of money. But most of the folks who have been supporting us, I'd say, are probably like small business owners that are like successful. Mm -hmm. They're not yeah. they're not people you read about in the papers. They right. look just like any other deadhead. And so, yeah, like literally millions of dollars to charities, a very healthy amount to headcount. And we've grown a lot. We when when that all started, we had, I think, four or five employees. Now we have 30. And it's not just from Dead & Co. and those auctions. But, you know, when one thing goes well, other things start to go well. So I really credit Dead & Company with headcount's ability. We've registered over a million voters. Um, when When that started, we were at a much lower number. We're able to go into a year like this and register over 100,000 voters during the midterm elections. When most people registered two years ago, you don't have a lot of people out there yeah. who haven't yeah. registered unless they just turned 18, but we're still going to register 100,000 voters. And to me, like, no matter who we're working with, you can't separate Dead & Co. from the success. It is the foundation yeah, yeah. of how we did this. So wow. I wanted to say that in the, you know, and then I just wanted to know, OTL, what your favorite Dead & Co. memories are. <laughs> wow there's so many man it would be hard i mean well there's more to make still too yeah and i think you know um that's a part that maybe is like a, we should do like at least part of a podcast on just that sure. because like i'm sure i could say like some off the top of my head and then after this podcast is over i'd be like dude you didn't talk about like I can, I'm not good at the on the well, spot. You don't got to rank them, but what are the what are the <laughs> ones that come to your mind? Just <laughs> you know, um, opening night is always one. Like I remember my first night with the Almond Brothers um, at Great Woods, June. I think it was June sixth, nineteen ninety seven. It was June, and um, so you know those the first couple of nights um, we played Albany the first night. And so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, oh, there was a lot of talk. Like, people were ready to hate it. 
you know, <laughs> it was like, so that was a relief that that went well. And I believe the very next night was my, was Madison Square Garden, which wasn't my first time playing there, but it was my first time, like being the only act, like, mm. um, that was very memorable. Um, I mean, seeing your name up at Madison Square Garden. I mean, a lot of it was in the first rehearsals because it was everybody getting to know each other. And, you know, you have a jam and you're like, well, that I think that felt like it went really well. You know, and there were some certain people like Rose, who's been around Rose Solomon, who's been around for a long time, uh, was in the room when Rhea was delivered, you know, and we have the same birthday. She came up to me like that is good that's the real thing and i was like okay she's been around since forever like so it wasn't just me you know actually a lot of memories in tri and then you know it's been seven years we've had some we had some <laughs> pretty and then the whole last tour was probably like half of them you know because it just i don't know what you know for me my back was uh better from doing the yoga and my bass weighed half what it my other one so it was like letting being let out of prison so the whole thing i was like oh yes woo, you know so it's all I'm, it's all in the category of be glad that it happened and not sad that it's over you know nice. and i'm sure like with headcount like we did that together and that's cool we got this whole story together and you know american history really you know it's cool yeah, I remember those first couple shows really well. And there was a <laughs> moment where Mayor at the Garden, I think he maybe like forgot a lyric or something. And there was this like pause. And then the whole crowd just went crazy, giving him love. And that was the moment of acceptance. Do you remember that? I don't. I I, I don't remember that specific moment, but I remember feeling accepted i remember i remember going they definitely like this yeah and there was enough people in the room to like it for all the haters that didn't like it everybody was like whatever more room for us <laughs> keep hating it yeah. <laughs> you know i got four friends i need to bring you know <laughs> so. it was it was unmistakable on that, that first run of shows that everybody went in not knowing what to expect and by yeah, I think there were three garden shows. I don't remember when it was, but it was by there, there was this palpable feeling of yes, we love it, thank you from the crowd. Yeah. And um and that was just that feeling of communalness that we know, you know, defines yeah. this music. Yeah. But when everybody sort of comes to a conclusion together and it was just very clear what was happening, that there was that moment of affirmation from the fans to you all on stage. And then also like the let O'Teal sing, that was, yeah, that was right then and there. Those t-shirts showed up. I think you and I were backstage together when, what's the name <laughs> of the gentleman who does those shirts? Chris Donardo. Yeah. Chris Donardo. He shows yeah. up with the shirts or he maybe gave them to me to give to you or something like that. That was early. That, that was, that was. And it's garden, funny because right? my manager who was not my manager at the time, uh, ben is the one that made the Let Trey Sing shirts. So he was like, when, when we uh, 
got married, <laughs> you know, it was like, he goes, you know, I'm the one that started to let Trace sing. I was like, whoa, man, I got to tell Chris Donardo that. Full circle. Yeah, wow. it was cool. I remember the first night that I sang, I have these uh, inner ear monitors that block everything out and I couldn't hear the audience. And so I'm going to my wife. Did they like it? She was like, you couldn't hear the reaction when you saw I was like, no, I can't. So I had the sound man put the crowd in crowd mics in my ears a ah, little bit, you know? So nice. the next time I sang, I hit one note and it was just like, ah! <laughs> I was like, whoa, it threw me off. Actually. I was like, okay, block it out, block it out. Just, and that was a really crazy moment. And then feeling that later, like in a stadium was crazy. It still is actually every time it's still, it's not, it still surprises me. Was it China Doll? Was that the first song you sang? I think that was the first I one. I think it was. You know? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I there's so many. I mean, you know, The Gorge, Austin, Second Night of Fenway. I think we all know what we're talking about. Um, just to check those off. You yeah. know? <laughs> just Got like Boulder. Yeah. Oh, man. Such good stuff. Such, yeah. you know, I saw the rainbow at the first night of Santa Clara. That was the first night that I met Mayor, uh, and the band flew me and Jess out. And then so to be on stage and like you're playing, and then all of a sudden the crowd's going nuts, and you have no idea why, because you can't see it. And there's a rainbow over the whole stadium or whatever venue, right? And that's happened at least three times, I think, you know, wow. while I've been the band, you know. And that's weird. It's like, Just oh. Whenever Shapiro's in town. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's musically, how would you compare playing with Bobby and John to um, Warren and Derek? Well, you know, it's all, it's like, how do you compare um, curry chicken from India or curry chicken from Thailand? You know, they're they're all just different flavors. They're it's hard to it's so subjective of a thing, you know. And it's all wrapped up in all the other musicians too, and the crowd. Like it's all you can't really, I can't really pick it apart like that, you know. But um, I I'm a buffet guy. I like the difference, you know. I'm a gumbo guy too. Let's get them all together and stir it up at the same time, you know? So, but I, I love it. They're so, they're such different bands, you know, all my brothers and dead and company. I really feel like they're uh, two sides of the same coin, right? Like there's this, there's this uh, era and a musical, they have the same roots, you know what I mean? But sure. one's from San Francisco and one's from Macon, Georgia, you know, it's like, um, I feel that way about New Orleans. Like I, there's, there's, I, you know, my theory that Terrapin is Palo Alto, but then I feel like black Terrapin is New Orleans, <laughs> you know, like for, we just had Bill Summers on a percussionist with Herbie that played with all these guys. He's from New Orleans. And I was like, Oh, I see it. This is a node that where everything just, it it's a magnet for everything and palo alto was that same way you know just, right. and they're connected across 
the country by these bands, by the Almond Brothers and by Den Company. And I got to play with both. I mean, it's crazy. Like you say, your favorite times, man, the whole trip from 1997 till right now has been like, and I can go back before that with Colonel Bruce. The whole thing is just one long, you know, it's downs and ups, but it's all an incredible peak. All of it. What a blessing, you know? You know, I'm going to venture to guess the reason that you've had these blessings. Obviously, it's your incredible bass playing ability, but I think your your ability to play with these different personalities also has a lot to do with you as the person. And just as being a person who's easy to get along with and fun to be around i'm sure i try i'm glad i was a happy drunk when i was drinking (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean it's all the grace of god or the gods old and new you know um it's because say i wasn't a happy drunk a whole different story you know like i wonder it just yeah i'm blessed man and so uh, the fact that i made it this far I try to, you could see it more in perspective and be like, wow, this is such a great gift, all of it, you know? And I didn't feel that way. You know, I didn't know what I had when I was young, when I got the gig with the Colonel or got the gig with the Almond Brothers or, you know, I got the gig with the Deb when I, uh, with Den coming, I was 50. So I was more able to like go, hey, this is big, bro. Like, take it in. While it's happening, you know, before I was just like, you know, (laughs) and now I'm like, it's really taking it in and, you know, and headcount's a part of that. I mean, like the, these bands really changed the culture so much. And I feel like I'm getting to take my, uh, little part, my lend a hand and, and that, and doing that with you in such a crucial time with a climate crisis, crazy politics, crazy economics. Yeah. You know, this is, it's really important that this happened right now. And by that same grace, it got to happen. And we pulled off that last seven years, you know, like that one, you know, those points are on the board forever, you know, and you came off this last tour, this last O'Teal and Friends tour, like the the there was big crowds and they were Yeah. Surprised me be, for yeah. my bit my little old me. I'm always Sally feel like they like me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um Yeah, I mean it's like we're we're doing something big. I get recognized all the time. I can't go out now without getting recognized. It's weird. And you know, some lady, she was like, are you famous? I was like, no, if I was famous, you'd know who I am. And she was like, okay, you know. And then <laughs> we were in this little diner and it was just me and her and this one other guy at the end of the counter. And I'm just like talking with her. And she was like, well, you're really nice, but I think you're famous. You know, I told her I was in a band. She said, what's the name of the band? I said, O'Teal and Friends. You haven't heard it because I'm not famous. And then this one guy at this little diner downtown and like, Milwaukee or something. He goes, "Are you O'Teal?" She goes, "I knew you were famous." <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's like those. That's changed. You know, like I got recognized when I was with the Almond Brothers, but now it's it's on a whole nother level. You know, and um, so with that comes the opportunity to do 
to make positive change. And yeah. you know, yeah, if you know it's easy, you know. <clears throat> well, from my experience, what hasn't changed is you, my friend. You are <laughs> the same Thank person, you. and obviously, everybody changes, and that's a, a platitude. But for the better, um, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. But one thing I, I mean, I appreciate it. I think everybody who knows you appreciates is you're like the same friendly person. You're the same person who like always takes the time to like have a meal at catering or just hang or treat me really well in Philadelphia. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> like the, I mean, and you know how it is. And like you spend seven years in a huge band, you're going to change. And I'm sure you have in ways, but you didn't lose that quality of just being the person you are and the easy person to be friends with and the easy person to talk to. And that's, you know, that's like, a really commendable thing. And I'm, I'm sure yeah. I speak for many people in your extended orbit of how much we appreciate it. Like, wow. It just Thank makes you. it more fun. You're the same way too, man. I tell you, I, I could tell you exactly what did it for me was, um, cause I haven't always been that way. I remember Chicago for some reason, I was trying to get back to the hotel, which was close. I guess I shouldn't have walked it. Asking for, or no, cause it was early. I came in early and there were fans waiting and I had to do something. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I just can't right now. Like if I stop for you, then I got to do them, 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 them. And I just, sorry. And I just kept moving. And after that, I remember hanging out with Willie Nelson and with BB King and they're so iconic and, but their humility is exactly as big is how iconic they are, which is really saying something. And they would always have time for a picture, a word. I mean, both of them, Willie's wife and BB's manager be like, we have to be on stage like now, BB. Like he's been telling BB for 20 minutes. And BB's like, these are my children, you know, and he's just talking away. <laughs> and they're like, dude, that's it, party's over. He just always has time, always take the picture. And I was like, wow, I'm just an asshole, you know? So I, I vowed, I was like, I'm always going to stop. I'm always going to take the picture. I'm always going to have time for a word. And I'm not going to look like it's frustrating me. I'm going to look like it's fine, you know, unless I really can't. So, and then I'm just like, ah, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, meeting those guys did it. And I was like, you can be nice. And my two biggest heroes Wayne Shorter and Elvin Jones. Just angel race nice. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wool. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. It's probably no coincidence that BB played basically right up to the end. And I think he played like 250 shows a year. (laughs) And... uh, and and Willie's still going at 89. 
And that's how Bob, Bill, and Mickey are going to be if they if God if the gods old and new allow it. If they allow it, they'll go right up until they'll go just like the colonel. <laughs> I guarantee yeah. it. I guarantee it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't see Bobby like he said it. He goes, "We're going to be doing this till we're dead." He said it. <laughs> like, yeah, <clears throat> I'm not like that, you know. But I have a great respect for that because, you know, they can't help it. I think it's more than who they are. I think it's like what they are. Like Kavi, my daughter, she will be the head of something, probably the whole country, definitely a corporation or something. She's going to be running shit. It's what she is. (laughs) She's in charge, (laughs) you know, and Bob, Bill, and Phil, and Mickey, (laughs) and Jerry, you know, they're going to be on the road. Until the doctor says no, or the heart says no, and yeah, the body says no. You know, so I just you got to marvel at that because that ain't me, dude. I'm gonna be uh-huh. like chilling. <laughs> you know? You've already moved to Florida. I already moved here with the Golden Girls, with my heroes. I got a little Chia Sophia, a little Chia Pet Sophia on my counter oh, right awesome. now. That I. Kavi wants to do. I'm here, when, dude. When you think about those guys. I mean, Bobby was, how old was he when they started? Was he 15? 16, 16? right? I think he said during the other one, he said, I've probably been on stage more hours than anybody else. Hey, it's probably Bill, true. Bill was 17? Yeah. You know, I just did a record with Paul Riddle, the original drummer for Marshall Tucker Band. He was 16, 17. They pulled him out of high school. J-Mo promised his dad he wouldn't let him get into all the crazy stuff. And he kept that promise. Yeah. And um, yeah, a lot of these guys start so young. So they, you know, when you've been on the road since you were 16 and then you got famous around 18, like, you know, and it's 1968, (laughs) you can't even just imagine like to just be a fly on the wall with one of these guys, especially if they ended up nice and with their mind intact, which doesn't always happen. Yeah. You know, I, one of my favorite dead and co memories was getting to watch a show with mountain girl. Oh yeah. I love her, man. She came to Camden and she said she was, I think it was her second dead and company show. And the first one, she said she didn't really have an opportunity to truly watch it. So it was basically her first show. And I'd never met her before. And first off, you immediately get the sense of her just incredible aura and energy and her. She's um, she's a force. Yeah, force. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, and she's an historic person. And it was, so it was like, just really an honor to watch the show. And she loved it. Like she absolutely loved it. She was like, really like reacting to the show. She was like, wow. She was saying like throughout the show, huge smile. And I'm there. Shapiro's there with me. We're in the in the uh, the soundboard area, and um, I said to Pete after it, I was like, "We're we're so blessed because we have a we have a front row seat for the happy ending of this story." Yeah, so that's, oh, that's a great but way like, to put it. Yeah, you know, like there's there's been so much turmoil and so much to get to this yeah. point, but Dead and Company is the if if they if they make the movie, I guess they are and will of the Grateful Dead. Dead and Company will just probably be 
the like credits rolling and everyone's smiling <laughs> because <laughs> because it's it really was the joyous end without I mean, I'm sure you know behind the scenes I'm sure you guys had all kinds of Whatever. Oh yeah, we had some, we had our moments, but you know that's the cool part about it because I remember like when I had mine, and I was just so frustrated, and then it it came up roses. I have the picture of it, you know, when it was just it all worked out, and then I put my head down the pillow that night, and I was like, now you're in the dead. <laughs> you know, you gotta have some, you gotta have your scar. Yeah, I got that wow. one in twenty. 20- <clears throat> 19 and you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, and I know that you guys do have that. And every once in a while you hear a little bit, not much. It's not, you know, headcount isn't caught up in that part of <laughs> your world, but the perspective on it is, is all, it's like, you know, no one's going to jail. <laughs> exactly. no, one's, no one's broke. No one slept with the other one's wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's all like, you like, know, it's all just, just ah, yeah. man, you know <laughs> you can get perspective real fast and then from the outside it is this just you know joyous gift to have really an era of arena level shows one thing i love i when, when i saw the grateful dead i saw the grateful dead 23 times in my early 20s wow nice and yeah i mean i just got the tail end 91 to 95 I loved the stadium shows. Yeah, me like too. Much more than the arena shows. <laughs> me too. Huh. Or the amphitheater shows. Yeah, amphitheaters is like... Except for Alpine. Bird. I don't know why, but Alpine... Something. It's the energy. It's the like. <laughs> yeah. It's the mass amounts of people. I remember going up to Rich Stadium in Buffalo in 1992, and I watched the first set from the floor, and then I watched the second set from all the way up in the top, yeah. the top tier. And so you could see everybody and that, and I remember seeing Bobby step to the mic for estimated profit and just like move to the mic and just the explosion of energy when, when the vocal, I'll never forget that. I was 20 years old and like then for a long time, we didn't really have that even like further, the other ones, all of it were there's some arenas, there was baseball, like minor league baseball teams. But to be able to come back and have this era of just massiveness and, yeah. you know, like for headcount, it was, that was what we yeah. kind of needed. We needed something <laughs> big to like build our organization around yeah. and to get this many years and have another one. Like, yeah. I, it's just like, it really has been a gift that keeps on giving. Like, I don't. I don't think anybody thought we'd get this many years out of it. Like, man, you wanted to tell you a humility story. We were on stage at the stadium, and now we had just started playing stadiums again. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, this is happening, you know. And you know, we have these little pipe and drape things on on stage for us to have a little privacy on say a little mini dressing room. And I would always be with Bill at that point. That's before we'd switch sides. I think. And um, but we're sitting back there, and we're you know I'm just hitting the pen, and Bill's we're looking out at the audience, and Bill's like, "Isn't this unbelievable, man?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I just can't get over it. Like this is so cool." Like, and I was like, "Bill, you've been playing stadiums since like the '70s. Like, this is not old hat to you." He's like, "No, man. I never, 
I never get over. It. It's just like I'm so grateful. Like I was just like, wow, man, that's, that's that is winning right yeah. there, man. That's winning. And I took that into my heart. I was like, this dude's been doing this since in stadiums since I was I was born in '64. So since I was seven years old, six. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what? <laughs> okay, he man. Never got old. Not one bit. I saw it in his eyes, man. That shit was real. That was no act. You know, that was beautiful. And you could see watching how much fun they're having and how much fun look he's at him. having. And just, yeah, I looking mean, out over the audience, he's just playing. sitting back he's there looking, with a big grin. Taking it in. I'm like, that's how, that's how we're supposed to live. Like, you're going to get pissed off at something you probably shouldn't get pissed off. You know, just certain bad circumstances pile up and just put you in one last, ah, right. But for the most part, if you could savor, you know, you watch that happen, you know, that was a, that was a gift from God's man to be able to see that happen with Bill, to be a part of that personal, personal inner, you know, that was life changing. And it's incredible what it's going to do for all of the other incantations of dead music for decades to come, you know, like J-Rad's going <clears> to <throat> crush it forever. And what you do is going to be amazing. And Bobby and the Wolf Bros and Billy and everybody, everybody that goes and does their things. Yeah. That I could see it after I'm dead. I could see it. This is just music's not going anywhere. Yeah. No, it's like jazz. You know, people are still playing, you know, these old jazz tunes, you know, that all these just generations of jazz players have kept alive. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's a cool thing. And it, that was my, you know, I, th I had a different path that I saw for myself, you know, which Colonel Bruce altered. But now that I see what this is, it's like, you're helping keep this important thing alive and moving forward past when you die that's Absolutely. a big honor you know that's a big honor so uh yeah for the two whole different thing. big bands too for two and ones that needed to happen to to bring more people to all this music that they were inspired by that they probably wouldn't have checked out they probably wouldn't have checked out the bluegrass and the country and the jazz and the avant-garde stuff and the the New Orleans music and the, the, you know, all these roots, the gospel stuff, all this, you know, stuff that are the arteries of rock and roll, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and these fans do investigate it. They go, oh, you know, let me check out Robert Johnson. Oh, let me check out Ralph Stanley. Let me check out all these different things you know we had bill summers a percussionist on earlier today who we know from playing with herbie and the headhunters but he also played with stevie wonder he played quincy jones out on tucson just like the list just goes on and on he goes yeah that uh who's that guy lee's grateful dead he you play with that right i said yeah i played with some of those guys he goes What's that guy's Elise? And I can't believe I remember like Jerry Garcia. He goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played with him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, You know a guy named Vince Wellnick? We were really good friends. I was like, Wow. You know, just like 
all that spread out. He's given us this whole history lesson about African music and how all these rhythms that you hear and all this music that the Grateful Dead is playing each go with some God or nature right or some element or something. Like all these rhythms, you're like, boom, 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 boom. I'm sure if I asked him about that, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's whatever, blah, 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 you know? And it just, all that ties together. It's so cool to be part of this web and, and see it, see the connections, you know, and then yeah. be the connections to keep it going forward. And hopefully Headcount will help that with this country because <laughs> we need the connections <clears throat> to be made or else we're just, you know. Well, and, and you know, and you know, it's funny, Andy, about like asking you to come on. It's like hilarious to think moving forward, every election is going to be the most important election. <laughs> they all <laughs> were the, and they all are. They, yeah. Every single one is the newest one is the most important one. It's, you know, we always feel that way, but it always proves to be true. And you look at, I saw, I was watching a thing last night about the leader of Brazil and the autocracy there. Is it still Bolsonaro? Said, he, he said if he does not win the election, it was stolen and that they'll have to kill him. Jesus. I mean, he, I, and this is, you know, um, happening in modern times in a, an enormous country in Brazil that was a democracy or is a democracy. And it's like just really, really freaking chilling. And then you you poke the channels around and it's you're talking about nuclear. I mean, Putin's saying he's not bluffing and kind of believing him. You know, me, I'm like, this he hasn't bluffed on anything else. Right. And that's scary is I mean, beyond scary. And it's like, what do you, you game it out in your head. It's like, what do we do if that happens? So what do we as America do? What do we as a world do? And there's no good answer. Every answer there is, is no. Problem. The climate's given that to us, regardless of any of this other shit. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's like, it's like, we're going to be like, well, what's going to happen? Are we going to look back and be like, oh, remember when it was all beautiful stadium concerts and <laughs> where the world really fell apart? Like. Or it'll be, it'll be, remember when we failed to pull together? Yeah. Remember you know? when we didn't stop it. And, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I tend to be an optimistic person. I believe that the arc of history bends toward progress. And I believe that things get better and not worse over time with a lot of, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a long, strange trip, but it's, I think the world is a better place than when I grew up. Um, and we forget that, you know, I grew up in New York City in the 70s and 80s. And New York City was dirty. It was dangerous. Yeah. yeah. There were, I remember the gas lines of the gas crisis. I remember all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember a lot of um, really race-based violence in Brooklyn and Queens in the late 80s. Yeah. Um, and certainly that has not gone away in, in any respect, but the the things that were rising to the level, uh, you know, the, the surface in New York City in 1989 was really, really bad. And we've, we've, I like to think it is better now. 
we're, we're not, you know, the, the, the world has not improved as much as we wanted to, but it is better than it was in New York City um, 34 years ago. Boy, I feel old now. But um, <laughs> so I'd like to think that we're going to like, you know, we do this again. We're going to say, wow, it was there's always going to be challenges, but we're always going to be working through them and getting better. But there is a kind of moment where you can see like these are really huge steps backward. Like we. Well, and at a time where we don't have time for this incremental shit. Right. Like I know, yes, the arc of the universe bends towards that's a big arc, dude. The climate is going to hit us at about this point in this long arc. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, we can't wait till down there. We got to chop, chop, you know, and I don't see that happening. But, you know, this love rises up to meet the moment. I see it happening. I see that, like, mystically, I see it happening. Like, with the growth of headcount, with, you know, going into stadiums and stuff. So that's my only worry, just the time. Yeah. Climate alone, you know, the, the time is short, you know. There's a reckoning coming. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you can see, I mean, when you think about elections and the, I, I tend to believe there's a lot of stuff we overhype and it's bad, but not the doomsday that everyone wants to see. And then you look around and be like, but I see I, there is doomsday. Like you can see that yeah. if you got to a point where people are overturning elections, that's doomsday. Like, well, that, look at the tent cities. Like I've been going to LA, San Francisco, like everywhere, Denver, wherever, St. Louis, uh, just every city that I've been in, you know, I walk around. Yeah. And I see, I'm like, man, this is not good. This is very dystopian. Very dystopian. Yeah. And um, it's changed uh, rapidly. Um, now, I know things can change rapidly on the, in the other direction, too. It's just like, will they? You know, <sighs> we're taking that shot right now. And I, I think we're taking it the right way. It's, it's it's just steps scary. backwards in so many different places. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's I really think just... it was, I think it's, see, all that stuff was driven underground, really kind of by the media and by, you know, the partially the good side winning, but the real powerful economic forces, it wasn't. It wasn't the good side winning. So now you you have all these people that were driven into the closet and they're like, well, everybody's out of the closet. You can be gay. You can be trans. You can be this and that. And we're the only ones in the closet. And so they came back out. It wasn't like steps backwards. It was like a coming out party, you know, which is this part of the country that everybody thought went away, (laughs) but it wasn't ever gone ever, you know, in fact, it was growing and consolidating and networking. And then boom, it's just so ironic that Trump would have been the Frankenstein monster of all of it, like a Northern billionaire, you know, (laughs) but whatever, you know, it is what it is. Now we have to deal with this reality of this is what it's always been. And this is what it still is. Now, what are we going to do? It's all out in the open now. Yeah. You know, you know, the voter turnout 
we're coming off to like record highs, uh-huh. um, hundred yeah. year highs. Yeah. And, and that is one of the silver linings of the, of the polarization and of the, which I hate yeah. just of the Trump years is that, you know, what, however people felt, they felt strongly. And now high voter turnout is a relative thing. So the, the, the 2018 midterms, the young voter turnout was a little over 35%, which was amazing, astoundingly high, but also disturbingly low all at once. Most years it's around 20%. And so our big question, like going into November is, it's going to be somewhere in between. It's not going to hit the Trump, the 2018 numbers. Um, And 2018, I credit a lot to the Parkland students also. Yeah. Really just motivated other young people. And I know you know them well, Atil. Yeah. So it's like, where where are we going to land here? Is this going to be a country that says, you know, I'm not going to let elections, I'm not going to do the whole, <laughs> oh, uh, I don't want to deal. Are we going to be a country where people take control of the future, whatever that entails? Or are we going to fall back on the, well, let somebody else figure it out? Yeah. And I really don't know. I mean, I really don't. You know, but one I, hope I have, I think, is ranked choice voting. Because it's starting to be put in in some places. Like if they they voted in ranked choice voting in uh, Alaska, and Palin just lost. Yep. To a Democrat. Right. Pretty incredible. Because of ranked choice voting, they were like, okay, she's too nuts. And then there was another Republican, I think, and then this Democrat. And because of ranked choice, it was like, well, I, like the the Dem ended up winning. So I, I that's one way that if that could take hold, you know, yeah. we would have had Bernie. <laughs> you know, yeah, ranked choice voting in Maine, and it definitely determined who won. Absolutely. Um, and I love it. after the fact someone tried to sue. It's like, no, this is how it works now. You <laughs> don't get sued because you lost. Yeah. And and it gives and ranked choice voting is a little bit hard to get people's yeah. heads around, but it works. And it's just you basically pick your candidates in order. And if nobody gets 50%, you start lopping off the candidates with the lowest and then keep retabulating. And eventually someone gets 50%. And if your candidate gets lopped, so you can pick your, your crazy out there candidate, you know, isn't going to win. You can still put them number one and then put your more realistic candidate number two and still stand for what you believe in completely. Yeah. And, um, but eventually the candidates, it comes down to like, a, you know, whoever gets more than 50%. And um, that's more democratic, isn't it? It's way more democratic. <laughs> and, you know, if people can figure out fantasy football, they can definitely figure out. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you. True. Thank you. Yeah. What constitutes it? What constitutes a young voter? What age? Um, 18 to 29 is generally the demographic. It's how the census breaks it up. 18 to 24 is the youngest, and then it's 18 to 29, and that's that's how the, the data is usually parsed out. Wow. And um, 35%. You know, huh? People under 30 vote a lot less than people over 60, but there are m- much more young voters than there are older voters now because just the demographic shifts in America. And yeah. young voters, the 18 to 24 cohort is 45% non-white. So you have a much more diverse, much more representative of the new America and really of what historically America has always welcomed new populations and new folks coming in 
and those people vote and those people shape the country. And in, in yeah. modern times, it's from different parts of the world. It used to be from Europe, yeah. Northern Europe, Western Europe. Um, now it's all over the world. Right. Um, and uh, interestingly, I, just as an aside, I just saw a stat yesterday that the amount of migration has dropped dramatically in this country from a, over a million a year to a couple hundred thousand. And we have a labor shortage. And it's like, well, of course we have a labor shortage. And inflation (laughs) is completely driven by the labor shortage because, you know, there there are not people to, they have to pay a lot more as they should for, you know, base level manual labor. But when you can't even fill those positions, it affects the entire economy and the cost of everything. So it's like, I'm not an economist or a professor or whatever, but you'd think that there's a, some pretty basic math here is when you lose people coming to the country and you lose the labor force, you have inflation and we don't like inflation. So maybe there's a solve here. Don't know. Not a, you know, simple math, but uh, these are, these are the things that we, uh, we can learn on a daily yeah. basis. But there's, yeah. there's other forces driving things, you know, <laughs> when the, when the dominant forces are uh, efficiency and profit, then, you know, yeah. with a healthy gun. You experienced also. firsthand the uh, ins and outs of immigration and how many hoops you had to jump through. I know. Oh, man. Yeah. Adopting Kavi. Yeah. And uh, it was something. You, and you when you go to the. Works for you. And, 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 you know, and you're obviously a connected person with resources and you know people. And I know the same people you know who who were very helpful. Imagine if you had none of that. And ultimately they couldn't help, which is the funny thing. There's one thing that really helped that I think I couldn't verify it, but there was one person at this immigration office in India that I think um, um, one of my sources, it's just a feeling I got because there was a lot of just you know, stop signs because India, they don't give a damn, you know, they're like, whatever. And uh, so it was, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. And, you know, when, when, uh, when uh, Kavi came home, the, uh, the pandemic broke out five months later and we had gone cause it already been taken uh, two and a half years. And we were like, this is never going to happen. Like we just have to go over there and, plead with the judge and just try to force it and no don't mention bribing because of child sex trafficking but you can't even think about trying to bribe someone because that's the you know and you know wow what a what a lesson what an eye-opener i can't believe uh, it was i forgot it was five months before the pandemic i'm pretty sure she would still be there down to the wire yeah it was literally, yeah, like Star Wars when the door is shutting and slide <laughs> under. You know? right <laughs> it's, just, wow. it's something. So we, but all we do, you know, what do we do? We gather up our gumption and we join together and we take our shot. That's all yeah. we can do. We're here right now. We're up at bat and we got to take our shot. And so I'm awesome. glad to be up at bat with you, Andy and headcount and everybody that's helping and for us to like, yeah, it's all we could do is heave ho and get, get it over the top, you know? 
Yeah, we had yeah. to have you on at at this point too, just because of where we're at and how close we are to like. It, it's just you need to be a regular right around this time. Well, I'm I'm always happy to hang with you guys. And uh, yeah, how could I'm, you I'm, not be stressed with all the shit that you know and see going on, uh, trying to stem the tide? Like, wow. Yeah, I couldn't do well, it. Well, I'll finish it with this: that when um. When I, the way account started was I was doing something totally different. I was a reporter covering sports and uh-huh. I'd written a book about fish. I'd written the farmer's almanac with some buddies. And that was my like link to the music world, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I did for a living. And um, I didn't do anything with politics. I'd never had other than yeah. just having opinions like everyone else. And I was doing an interview with somebody and we started mm-hmm. talking about Guantanamo Bay and how uh, the U- United States was putting people in jail without charges. And I felt that was extremely un-American and sort of the other person I was talking to. So I hung up the phone and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta stop complaining. I gotta do something. What can I do? Yeah. And I sat there and I thought about it and I was like, well, think about all the concerts I go to think about this community that I'm, I'm a part of and we have power. We don't know we have power. We don't think about it, but this is like the first Bonnaroo's had just happened. And it was 70,000 at the time, all Jambian fans. Like we were, we were a force in America and we just weren't exercising that. Right. Organized. I reached out to Brownstein through my idea. He's like, I'm in. And then we reached out to Bobby via Al Schneer of Mo and got bored together. Shapiro, Rich Goodstone, Jonathan Schwartz, Steph Scamardo, Nadia Pressure, all all jam band people at the beginning. And um, we were just like, we know that our community can make a difference. We just got to figure out how. We just got to organize it. And now, 18 years later, like, it's a lot of communities. It's, it's a, a much broader definition of the music community. But the idea is still the same. The idea is that collectively we make a difference and we're, we're, it's undeniable. And when Grateful Dead Nation or Ariana Nation or Harry Styles Nation gets motivated and shows up and make their voices heard, these are very big forces. These are large forces of humanity. And, uh, and we share values, whether we share po- politics or not. Spoiler alert, we don't. Like, there's diversity and opinions yeah. in every community. Right. But there are values that are fairly universal. When you show up at a concert and you all sing together, somewhere yeah. in there, there's this underlying feeling of we're stronger together, we respect each other, the golden rule, love thy neighbor. These things are, they are baked into how we experience music. Yes. And... When people who've bought into that all show up at the polls, there is an impact. And so that was the idea 18, 19 years ago. And it's still the idea today, with, no matter who we're working with. And and that's why, like, you know, in the end, the Grateful Dead and Dead and Company, it's just like, it's a, it's for us the fact that this chapter ended up being the chapter that got had count to in a whole nother place. Yeah. You know, we couldn't have, couldn't have written it better. Couldn't have like, it just happened that way. And it, that's awesome. how it was supposed to happen. That's awesome. why I don't give up because there's still magic. It's very storybook. 
You know what I mean? So there's that. And there's the fact that, you know, the 1% are getting over on the 99%. So the game is to keep the 99% fighting horizontally instead of fighting vertically. But once the 99% realizes we outnumber these guys so much, like we could just say no, literally just say no. No, I'm not going to that war. I'm not. I'm, if I, if you have to give me a better reason than just, you know, flag waving and whatever, like to go drop depleted uranium bombs on Iraq when they didn't do any, have anything to do with 9-11. You know what I mean? Just sit on your hands and say no. We could change everything. If everybody stopped shopping at Walmart for a week, they would bend to our will because all they care about is this. But you can't. You got everybody has to be on board. So right. we just got to enlighten. We got to try to connect people together and inform people. And hopefully they will start to realize that and start, you know, we don't have to aim guns at each other. We don't even need guns if we just say no, you know. <clears throat> and Andy, thank you for informing us about that stuff, you know, because there's yeah, a lot yeah. of folks that, you know, get there data and their info and their links from your guys' social media pages and from, you know, the folks that you partner with. So doing a great job of getting the numbers out and the figures and the, the, where it needs to be like at everybody's fingertips. Yeah. And with these young kids, cause it's their world. That's it. It's, it's coming yeah. down the pike, yeah. you know? Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Uh, I would imagine that most people who've sat through this already know how to find headcount, but if they don't, <laughs> headcount.org or at headcount.org. We're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for people to get involved. And um, the world needs more deadheads. The world needs more deadheads in uh, positions of influence. So we we, uh, we we bring deadheads together with a bunch of hairy heads. Hairy heads. Everybody gets along. <laughs> So I'm uh, it's like wetlands. You're like the oh, wetlands of the politics. <laughs> exactly. Thank but you, I'm Andy. grateful to you guys. It's really fun to be on. Really fun to see you, OTL. I'll see you. Yeah. Well, I'll see you this summer for sure, but I'll see you before that. And sure. um yeah, guys, and just and congrats on the podcast, keeping this thing going and thriving. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. 100 plus episodes, man. Thanks for wow. continuing to come back. You know, we got each other's backs. Yeah, come back yeah. again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, buddy. Bless you, man. Take care. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.